This is the Stand and Deliver Comedy Podcast with Rodders. Stand and Deliver! Hello and welcome to the Stand and Deliver Comedy Podcast episode number 15 with me, Rodders. It's probably the last podcast of 2018, unless I get a sudden burst of creativity and productivity on uh, uh, the 31st of December, uh, which I doubt, to be honest. The only thing I'm capable of making on uh, uh, New Year's Eve is usually uh, a bit of a mess. Uh, so my name is Rodders. I'm a promoter and I'm a comedian. I run the Stand and Deliver Comedy Club up above Smoking Billies in Reading. We run every second Thursday and do the odd special show as well. Uh, so what's this podcast about? Well, sorry if you already know and you've been listening for ages uh, but we've probably got a few new ears uh, on this podcast so, so you know be patient with them and and let them into our little gang it's basically me talking to some of the great acts who have graced the stage at the stand and deliver comedy club or it's uh, comedians that have uh, uh, that i've just met uh, on the road uh, whilst traveling around the country uh, performing myself for other people's nights um, so today's guest is a double header, I believe they call it. Uh, basically, this turned into a bit of a, a, a sort of a, a, a badly controlled afternoon drive time show uh, with comedians Matt Bragg and Terry Green. We met way back in March. I tend to record these interviews and just stockpile them. I really want to release these podcasts every two weeks, um, but it doesn't really happen to me. Honest, life just gets in the way. I'm trying to get more disciplined with it. Uh, but Matt Bragg and Terry Green, we all met in the smoking area at a venue called Rock the Attic when we were all taking part in to be honest I think this is one of my highlights of 2018 uh, it was the world record breaking comedy show it was a comedy show that well it's now in the Guinness Book of Records it was like three days long or something ridiculous it was just comedian after comedian after comedian for three days straight uh, so if some of this interview uh, slash chat doesn't really make any sense uh, please bear in mind the terrible state of sleep um, sleep deprivation we were in uh, particularly terrible Terry uh, and and Matt, uh, because they they, are well known to the promoter and are solid, reliable, excellent acts. Uh, They were chucked on many, many times when other acts failed to to show up. I performed three times and I think they lost count how many times they had to go on. So so good on them. Uh, They they contributed to that world record breaking show. And it was all for charity, mate. Uh, Oh, sorry, I meant to do my smashy and nicey voice. It was all for charity, mate. Um, But yeah, it was excellent talking to these guys. Um, It all reminded me of the, uh, I'm going to use a buzzword here, uh, peer support. Maybe it's two words. If you hyphenate it, it's one, isn't it? Uh, But I think comedians were quite single-minded tunnel visioned folks we pootle around on our own and i think sometimes we forget the importance of having your mates around you on the circuit uh whenever i hang out with uh, matt bragg and terry green i kind of feel like i've they kind of treat me like an old school friend and it's really nice and they encourage me uh with a lot of my mad humor and silliness and they they kind of push me to greater uh, heights of silliness and creativity with my comedy because uh, they're very very different acts to me uh, but they can sit there and and help me 
work on the bits that are working and sort of gently point out the bits that aren't and it's it's just great after you've done a spot to sit down with them and and chat as we did in a in a, in a coffee shop after one of my sets and it was it's just really good to have that kind of support around you because otherwise comedy you're blundering around in the around in the dark you've got no one teaching you really and it's all just hot trial and error and that trial and error process is accelerated greatly if there's a, a few of you working on it as well uh so we'll, we'll get we'll get to that chat in a minute but in the meanwhile uh what have i been up to uh well uh, kind of winding down for the year to be perfectly honest with you uh did a gig at hazard bars comedy night that was good at the white heart in basingstoke and for the second time i went to this lovely little open mic at the row barge in guildford sort of half an hour's walk from the center of town and uh, it's just really nice it's uh there are musicians and then me and my uh, uh comedy comrade nick bayard uh tend to turn up there and uh try out some new material and it was really good fun and we were also sort of doing a bit of market research because i'm considering uh performing at the guildford fringe if, if they will have me that is and uh, so i asked any people in the pub have you heard of the guildford fringe festival and they were like oh well do you mean uh, the guildford fringe as in and they then started telling me about uh, an octogenarian group uh, of uh, male singers uh, that tour the local pubs have a good old sing song and then drink the pub dry um so one wonders is the guildford fringe as in the arts festival being out marketed uh, by a bunch of retired men or or was this pub just just in a little bit of its own microcosm but uh, we will uh, try our best to find out but i just think that sounds like an exceptionally good retirement plan go and have a sing song and a couple of drinks and repeat that sounds much better than watching countdown or or, or grumbling about um uh, about how things were better when you were young that sounds like an excellent way uh, to, to to spend your your retirement years uh, speaking of supporting the local economy, every pub seems to have uh, their their village drunk, don't they? And uh, well, I, I had a, a, a nice chat with a village drunk. In the well, the trouble is, it was in the middle of my sh- uh, my set. He, he kept asking me questions uh, about uh, Reading, uh, so I think I managed to convince him that Reading's actually this beautiful tourist destination, and he's probably now a. Uh, booking a package holiday to Whitley Wood uh, for the summer so so yeah um, it'll, it'll probably fit in there to be honest um, so uh, local niche Reading snobbery aside let's get on to our chat with Matt Bragg and Terry Green this is the Stand and Deliver comedy podcast with Rodders it was great to talk to these two because they've known each other for absolutely ages, mostly through performing around the Banbury area. And it was great to talk to people that know each other incredibly well, but at the same time are very, very different kinds of comics. Um, Terry spoke about how his religious upbringing was what made him get into comedy. Quite an unusual story from church to comedy club. Doesn't happen that way very often. Uh, he, oh, as a side note, he's also a brilliant graphic designer. He designed my uh, fringe poster uh, when I went up to Edinburgh last year. And I think you've got to have a good poster if you're going to get any bums on any of those seats these days. It's still very, very important. Uh, Terry also talks about honest comedy, which was his comedy promotion. He talks about a lot of the difficulties involved in running a comedy gig. I can relate to an awful lot of those. Matt also spoke about his father, Bobby Bragg, who passed away in October of 2015. He spoke about what it was like having a well-known comedian as a dad. So much to get into. Let's get on with it, shall we? This is Terry Green 
and Matt Bragg. This is the Stand and Deliver Comedy Podcast. We're in Banbury at Rock the Attic. Uh, I would say backstage, but that's too glamorous a term. We're in the smoking area. Um, <laughs> and we're at the world's longest comedy show, world record attempt, all for charity. Uh, we've all been awake far too long, so it seemed an ideal opportunity to uh, record. Terry Green, first, uh, you've been, lived around Banbury for ages, founded Honest Comedy. That's right. Which came first? On it, is that where you first did stand up, or uh, no? I, I did a stand up uh, years ago, like probably in like two thousand and seven or something. Um, but that was way back, and I just did this talent show at a church, and it went really well, believe it or not. Um, and um, and then I, I told my mate in like two thousand and thirteen that I did stand up once, and he was like a month later he said, oh. I've booked us into a stand-up gig and you're performing 10 minutes. It was just like, oh. So I had to I just suddenly started doing stand-up. It was actually at Matt's gig, that was, at the Castle yeah. House. And uh, I just got a taste for it. Just started doing it again in 2013 on, really. So... Uh, really boring. I sounded really dull then. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Matt, you gave Terry his first gig, so he's all your fault. It, well, it wasn't your fault. <laughs> I'm not responsible for this. It wasn't your first gig, was it? No. I no. literally just said that in the podcast, but, but I know it was, it was really dry. It was so dry and boring. I hate talking because this does sound boring. But yeah, the, <laughs> your, your comeback gig was at my gig in... So I started a gig at Castle House, which is around the corner, but it was before I really started stand-up. So I booked Terry, and he did stand-up. <laughs> Oh, good. I'm glad he didn't do like. At least he didn't do like mopping or, or play billiards. It upsets me when I book an act for Stand and Deliver and they do embroidery. Yeah, I hate it when that happens. It's just like, mate, you're treating the audience with arts and craft related contempt. And like, the people of Reading deserve better. But I want to talk about um, comedy in provincial small towns. It seems to be if you build it, they turn up. Is there something positive to be said about the smaller towns being given comedy nights I, I don't agree with the statement that if you build it they come I think there's so many comedy nights that start and then end I mean honest comedy isn't going anymore it's just a page on Facebook now it's just so and it is, I mean we did that like tirelessly for two and a half years and it was so difficult to have to get a regular audience in and we had really good nights you know they were really good and it was, it was really frustrating running the comedy night because so many people come after you up to you after and they're like that was so good oh that was so much fun I loved it I'm going to tell all my friends and we'll be here next month and then you never see them again and, and it's you just genuinely like, did work hard at that as well didn't you with the PR and stuff like that and then it's still but towards the end of it it was just impossible wasn't yeah. it I, I used to photograph the, the, all the acts and then post post those photos on Facebook and write a review for every act, write them live. So you know you got loads from coming. So you might, I mean, it was always a bucket split. But so you might you might have got like thirty quid one night, or you might have got a fiver another night. But you always got a review. You always got loads of photos. It was wicked, and the audience always loved it. But there was just never that regular crowd. So you could have one month, forty people, and the room was small. So forty people had proper cram it, and it felt wicked. Um, and then you could have another month with like three people and seven comedians. And, like, it just fluctuated like that. It just didn't... And I know two and a half years isn't long enough to establish it, but I think loads of comedy nights just fold because it's so much hard work. So I wonder, there's... Because there's, I've been quite lucky. We've got a nice group of regulars and we keep trying to add to it. And it is a lot of work getting people in for stand and deliver. But I feel there are at least regulars. Do you think there's an optimum size for a town? I think 
Banbury a little smaller. Banbury's a little smaller than Reading, isn't it? Well, Reading's Reading's huge in comparison yeah. to Banbury, so you know. I think it can work both ways because some of my favourite gigs to do are when you turn up in a village somewhere, and it's just one pub and that's it because there's nothing else for them to do. So nine times out of ten, it gets it's packed wrapped. out. They are, it's a proper <laughs> hostage situation, and they they're so appreciative of it because there is nothing else on. And I, I think Banbury's caught in that weird middle bit where there's enough things for other people to do, other things to do. Just about to say that, but it's not quite big enough for them to be enough people. Yeah. <laughs> if you know what I mean. Say that because yeah. it's like, oh, I'll come back next month. But next month, there's like ten, fifteen other things going on that you can go to and be overwhelmed with. It. It's like actually, I don't fancy comedy night. I fancy. This a tragedy job. night. Yeah. I want someone to make me cry for an hour. Oh, I've had that effect on people. But do you think... That, you know what? That, that would be such a good idea, that would. It would be if I didn't say it. Yeah, <laughs> someone actually do it. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think I've been to it. It's an interesting... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But <laughs> Terry, it's called theatre. It's been done for a while. Like, Shakespeare wrote comedies and then no, tragedies. No, no, no. I mean, like, you go specifically to just listen to people do tight fives on... on Sadness. That is the open mic circuit in London, though, isn't it? Oh, I haven't got a girlfriend. Oh, I wonder why. Maybe it's because you keep telling everyone how lonely you are. It just becomes self-perpetuating, whinging loneliness. Yeah, um, yeah, but you go to a comedy night for comedy. Do you know what I mean? And then if you turn up and you get tragedy, then it's shit. But if you go to a tragedy night, yeah, exactly. I go for the embroidery because I can't beat fashion. Um, but do you think, having been a promoter, Terry, for what was it two and a half years? Did that change the way you do comedy or the way you think about comedy in any way? Um, I don't know. I, I sort of fluctuate with my ideas all the time. Sometimes I'm like, I think you've got to please the audience. That's why the audience are there. So you've got to pay to, you know... Play. You know, if if someone if you worked in a shop and someone was like, I really want a red knitted jumper, and you were like, OK, I found these, these blue jeans for you. <laughs> They'd be like, but that's not what I asked for. So I think there's that, like, you, you've got to please the audience, you know, so you, your comedy's got to please the audience. But then I fluctuate between, well, what about artistic integrity? What about writing stuff for yourself? And so being a promoter, it's just like, oh, come on, man, <laughs> that was terrible. But at the same time, I'm thinking, but if that's what they love doing, if that's what they like saying, what's wrong with that? Do you know what I mean? There's a middle ground there. You can have artistic integrity and still be funny. Because if you go up and you do something very arty, but it doesn't get a laugh, then you've failed, surely. Well, it depends Depends what you see the creative process as and what you see art as, and, and I genuinely consider stand-up to be an art form. Oh, yeah, but the goal, like you said, the goal's to make people laugh, so if you don't make people laugh, then not you're not very good. But if you're saying that, then, who, who's that on, though? Is that on the promoter for booking the wrong act for the room? <laughs> yes. <laughs> We've had a streaker. <laughs> my, my podcast. We ought to do the punter cast where we interview the punters. Uh, and uh, I, I get the best advice of punters. They once told me not to call myself Rodders because they uh, uh, said it sounded like I was going to do a shit impression of a builder. I ought to just do that. Maybe they know better than me. Maybe. I mean, my, when I first heard your name, I just went to Only Fours and Horses straight away. Mm, well, you know, they, they do owe me a lot of royalty money. But it's only because when I got the email from you asking for a gig, it said Rodgery, which sounds really like, Welsh. Are you Welsh? Had, yeah, half Welsh, but no one can say Rodgery, which is really... really um, he can. Rodger, but, but he, I've got the wrong accent for it. in a normal <laughs> accent. She's in a normal accent, like a... Well, not a normal accent, sorry, another accent. You might say Rodgery. Which sounds a bit like Roger, but yeah. not completely. <laughs> yeah. he, you know, R- is, is Roger. Like Roger. <laughs> it's Rogery. 
Yeah. <laughs> but that's an interesting point. Like, there is an onus on the promoter for knowing what the audience are after. And if, if I booked, uh, I don't know, if my uh, night doesn't like, I don't know, one-liners, so I book a whole lineup full of one-liners knowing full name my audience probably won't go for it. But there's a bit of give and take. I think sometimes you have to teach what I'm learning. I think you have to... You have to service what the audience wants, but at the same time, you have to teach them. Because my audience haven't liked politics, but gradually, I've been putting on some really, really good political acts. Uh, so, like Simon Kane managed to get, was the first act in my club that got a really big laugh out of something political. Daniel Guffrey did this; her whole set was politics, but got over really well. So yeah. gradually, you can, uh, you can. I think you can teach them a little bit. There's a bit of give and take. I think oh, politics is quite a tricky thing to get right, and I think you see a lot of comics try it. And it, it can be quite painful. So I think yeah, you ease them into it with some really good acts doing it. Because otherwise, it get, the worst thing I find with politics is when somebody gets a huge round of applause, not because what they've said is funny, yeah. but because everyone agrees with it. Take oh, isn't poverty awful? Yeah. Oh, yeah, brilliant. Why do I bother writing yeah. jokes? Exactly. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. But, I mean, that's, and that's a good thing to do. But, I mean, I'm, I meant in the sense of it's on the promoter. If you book, like... So I did a gig a couple of weeks ago that was like an after, like it was sort of a, a football club thing. Everyone was pissed out their minds. And they they hate people called Matt as well. They really hate them. And they just want, they want like knob gags and football jokes and things. And as quite a sort of slow, dry comic, getting booked for that, you just like, just, acts have to play the room, but you can only do so much. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, so I mean, it's like you've got artistic integrity there, haven't you? Even yeah. if you know the room's not for your material, you have to be you, flexible. But do, you can what, or do you? Do you have to be flexible? Well, I think do you to, to a certain degree, but you, there's, there's only, you should never change who you are completely. But you can kind of sort of bend stuff a little bit, be a little more brash than maybe you normally are, but not completely changing who you are. Matt Brash. When when you go when you up the volume, you can go from Matt Bragg to Matt. Brash. Then on an off day, it could be Matt Modest and just like be really nice and self-effacing. I don't think that'll ever happen. No, it won't. Will it? Let's be realistic. But your dad, being a comic, he was always obviously very supportive of it. But I always sort of wanted to kind of do it on my own and not sort of because it would have been very easy for him to just be like, right, you know, like if you've got a really stupid kid and they go home and then they come back to school the next day and their homework is like unreal. You know, well, you didn't do that, and there's absolutely no value to that. So I, he never sort of got really involved. Um, yeah, you're not a stupid kid. No, I mean, it was... It was <laughs> it's a, <laughs> um, yeah, no, I've, not really. I've known Matt for five years now. Maybe, maybe a bit longer. I've known Matt for five years. Um, and I started writing with Matt about two years ago. Yeah, two and a half, two and a half years yeah. ago. And I didn't know until about a year ago that Matt's dad was a well-known comic. Not at all. So it's like, for me, Matt's in completely himself. I mean, there's genetic. There'll be genetics involved in like his funniness. But yeah, I mean, you notice doing. that the style's the same. But it's just because that's what I grew up watching that like every night. Yeah. For, but I always want. I never wanted people to be like, oh, he's only doing that because of. You know, because yeah, his dad, yeah. or his dad's done that, he's written that. There's this inbuilt cultural thing for us not to find our dads funny, and this whole thing of, of dad, and especially it's very uncool for your. I mean, it, was it was it embarrassing your dad being a comic when you were a teenager, or did it no, just it not was, bother you? It was unreal. It was brilliant because you, you you know, I felt very very lucky that I got to do stuff that a lot of people, you know, wouldn't have got to do or see or whatever, and I, it was brilliant. Like I was dead proud of it, and I was I couldn't have been happier. 
and it was it was awesome growing up in like with him there and then not only that but you've got you grow up around loads of other comics and everything it's just you're just absorbing like all this you know comic timing all that sort of stuff delivery you just it just sort of filters through without you really noticing was he working full time while you were growing up because that must have meant you never saw him because it's not conducive to a family life is it comedy I imagine no I mean that was the sort of trade off because he, he was basically he sort of got stuck into doing TV warm ups so he did like everything from like late 80s onwards and that was yeah it was, it was a bit shit like we never really went on holidays or anything because he would never have longer than like a couple of days off but then equally like I say I spent my childhood at like Telecenter and got to see like some of the best shows, chat with some of like the biggest comics of all time. Like I mean, I think it was, yeah, when I was born, it was with like Bob Monkhouse, Les Dawson, all that sort of stuff. So yeah, it was, it was yeah, it was a good trade off. I think I, I would take no holidays to have grown up with that. Yeah, I'd rather have a funny father than a week in Butlins I think that's the moral you can take away <laughs> that genuinely did happen as well I went to Butlins it was supposed to be of course you can gig there can't you yeah, yeah. well oh yeah I did a talent show there actually and my dad was supposed to be there but I ended up going with my mum and my nan because uh, he had a show coming which I think was bullshit really he just didn't want to go to Butlins <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame him oh, dear which is me. weird because I had a completely different upbringing to that well, yeah, you've got a different dad. <laughs> well, yeah, well, yeah, of course. And a different <laughs> mum as well. <laughs> well, we hope. <laughs> oh, <laughs> a real bad thing yeah, to find out now. We're waiting for the results. Um, but I was brought up in the church, so I wasn't brought up around like comedy or anything like that. I was like brought up around... And I was brought up in the strict and particular Baptist church. <laughs> so like, it was like, it was like you know, w- women wouldn't, couldn't wear trousers kind of thing you wow. know in the early days like when I was a kid I remember that you know or sometimes women would wear trousers but when a, when a certain people were there they would be like oh, I'm, I, I'll wear a skirt today and when they prayed women have to wear hats stuff like that you know what I mean so it's like quite stern sort of like upbringing in, but it was all public speaking all of it was public preaching you know preaching messages and I remember a lot a lot of the time when I was because I'd listened to the sermons and stuff I was a Christian for ages and um like, and I believed it, genuinely believed it, but there were times where I went off in my head on little... So, like, but I think the first joke I ever wrote that's, that works as a joke, as a sort of a piece of observational comedy, I remember listening to the story about Genesis, you know, Adam, um, Adam and Eve were created by God, and Adam's given the task of naming all the animals. And, like, can you imagine being given that task? It's like, right, come on, Adam, you've got to sit down. So we're talking about this creation story, and I'm just going off on my head, in my head as a kid, thinking about, man, you you want me to name them all? All of them. (laughs) There's so many. There's like hundreds of different species of spiders. Can we not just number them? (laughs) And that was like the first joke that I thought of. And there were loads of times that I've sort of seen the humour in stuff. Because you have to, because it was so boring. And I look back on it now because I'm not a Christian now. I don't believe in any of that. But um, I was—I would find the humour in as much stuff as I could. And I think it was. But my dad's really funny as well. He's a funny bloke. Do you know what I mean? He says ridiculously inappropriate things in the driest of ways. Do you know what I mean? He's like, um, yeah. So is, is he? Is he sort of strict Baptist or was not it your mum? Not anymore. So he's, he's, a Christ- he's-, he's a Christian. But he's probably what be classed as what's called new perspectives. But now we do, we're going into like neat. This is you know those like comedians that talk like about specific aspects of Star Trek. 
this is like that, but for <laughs> a really. niche genre of Christianity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, because I've just started talking, because I was brought up going to church, despite the fact I don't think my parents really think. I think they just liked the play group and right. they just kept going because uh, the people there were nice. Uh, but I've only just started talking about it on stage. For play group, sure. <laughs> <laughs> it, was a, it was a little while ago. You know, I was sixteen. I was a, I was a late bloomer, as they say. Uh, but like, I've only just started talking about it because, which is silly, because like there was some really daft stuff. We had a preacher called Eric who genuinely believed, like, hey, like, he genuinely believed that there were dinosaurs aboard Noah's Ark, and then he tries to back it up with fossil records. And I've, and I've, I've only just been able to, you know, it wasn't a traumatic time in my life, but it was a very different time. And yeah, and it's just like, and he did, a, he did a family service about the virgin birth, and every two minutes he'd say, you'll have to ask your parents about that, which is just totally inappropriate. And I think sometimes you need a couple of years to give yourself perspective, because if you're in something, it's your normality and it's not mad. And also, I don't. I think it's. I think religion's quite a touchy thing to talk about anyway. So I don't think I. I've only, I've done it. Talked about it once at one gig in Southampton in front of next to nobody. And I think, and it came out like a story. So I think there's punchlines. But it's it's weird that there's. I don't know what point I'm making. But I think. Do you need some distance to talk about that? Because I've heard you talk about religion on stage. I'm sure. I've talked, about, I've talked about religion on stage a couple of times. I find it really difficult because like. I've got a, like a decent knowledge of like the Bible. I know the Bible better than a lot of Christians. You know what I mean? And. That means that the f- humour I see in it is is inside the Bible, and so it is that niche humour. So, like, I could, it, like, do you know what happens in the Book of Judges? Do you even know what the Book of Judges is? I know what it is. I have a, no, but I don't know what goes on in it. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And so it's like you can talk about like. Star Wars. You can make a fortune doing like Christian holiday camps, gigging at those. <laughs> what? And just con- just deconverting shed loads of people. Well, no, no, no maybe <laughs> you'd have to be nice. No, you'd have to you'd have to you'd have to pretend to be one of them again, wouldn't you? And if you could, because uh, there are Christian comics, conscience. aren't there? But it's it's very much. I think it's very much viewed as the same way as Christian rock music, which yeah, might be unfair. Because yeah, there are there are some good Christian rock bands. Pod, for example, I think they're decent. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I've never heard of them actually. They're better, than, better, better, they're better than the Matt Bragg yeah, band. They're, they're, like, they're like, um, it's like supermarket rock hop. That's what it's like. It's like it's shit. Oh, yeah. Before we descend into musical snobbery, was comedy like a rebellion against your upbringing or, or not? No, 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 no. Like, I'm, I've, no, I've got a whole set about my dad and the funny things that he said. Like, a whole set, like a good 10 minutes on it. And it's just all literally true stories. None of it's made up or even exaggerated. My dad's just like, I, I love my dad, but geez, it was a, it was a tough upbringing. Like, um, because he was such a hypocrite. Because he'd say really funny, cheeky, sarcastic things. And then you'd say really cheeky, funny, sarcastic things to him. He'd be like, don't be so rude, Terence. You know, it's just like, what? What? <laughs> it was such a confusing upbringing, but I won't talk about that because, um, yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> but, uh, no, uh, no, it wasn't a rebellion. It's just what I liked. I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an exhibitionist. Um, not an exhibitionist. Yeah, I'm an exhibitionist. No, an extrovert. I'm an extrovert. Mm. Like, exhibitions take their clothes off, eh? <laughs> or open art galleries. Well, I mean, I'm a stand-up comedian. All three of us are. We're all freaking exhibitionists. We might not all be extroverts, but we're all exhibitionists. We literally stand on stage and demand people listen to us. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Well, I like it because whatever. When people, don't, when people start talking in the audience, we hush them. How rude is that? <laughs> well, I'm talking now. Silence. And what other conditions could we be allowed to get away with behaving like we do? We're, we're on the good nights. We're rewarded for just 
terrible behaviour. Teaching, mate. I'm do, I'm oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I know a lot of comedians now who are teachers. Obviously parallels there, aren't there? It's, mm. it's crowd work, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Every day is an interactive stand-up. For four hours. So uh, this 96, this 96 hours is nothing to me. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe we're I doing this. job. I got to bed at about five-ish last night. That's when we vacated the premises. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's exciting. Oh, I don't do this as a job. This sound, that sounded really arrogant. I'm not an arrogant person. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Sorry, what it's, were we talking um, about? It, We've descended into... Oh, no, I want to talk about the Bam- what I call the Banbury clique. It's oh, you. J- J- I'm going to get everyone's names wrong. James Hyde, Terry Green... <laughs> Matt Bradford. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I was throwing a bottle of, throwing a bottle of water at him. Oh, God. Sorry, I just soaked Matt with a bottle of water. It's because the, uh, the, I was so enthusiastic. I had an Italian hand going on and the, the lid popped off. And the, now I've wet, I've wet Matt. It's really, it's really cold. <laughs> I, I, I just got an urge to dab it dry, but that no, makes I think it I feel like I can make it worse. Well, we've practically got the same trousers on. Not at the same time, but they are similar. Swap. <laughs> we could do. I mean, that would be the fair thing to do. <laughs> that is a great idea for a TV show. Trousers swap with Matt Brown. <laughs> oh, no, these ones are on backwards. How will I do my gig in Birmingham now? Um... What we do, yeah, so what we do, do you want a Banbury clique? Yeah, because yeah, it's it like... It sounds bad when you say clique. No, I think it's, it's a good thing, because like, you, you were very inclusive, you invited me to gig at your place, and, but I think I got the sense it was, uh, from the outside perspective, it's a little commune of comics and you all write together, and you... Because I remember you did this absolutely dreadful gig in a really drunk Irish pub with me. Sell it. And Rob, like... I, sell it. <laughs> I, I will, the pub's been sold, I understand I think. you did this dreadful gig. <laughs> Only three people turned up, motherfuckers. Oh, no, I mean it would have been better. I mean, me. I, mean I, I, the only, I was just lucky because the only injury I sustained was when I bashed my head on a low slung beam. But that was on me because I mounted some furniture as part of some humification. Um, <laughs> humification. But I remember you guys saying, "We don't really care about the gig. We just like having a good laugh in the car about it on the way back." <laughs> and I don't know if that's a terrible attitude to comedy or a very healthy one. I think it's the attitude you need, really, because when you're starting out, the amount of gigs that you do where. It's just that like, soul destroying the horrible. If you can't have, if you haven't got somebody to laugh about it with on the way home, you've got a two-hour drive where you just cry and then <laughs> wonder like why alcoholism. you're doing it. It's just occurred to me. It's like alcoholism. If if something goes well, you have a drink to celebrate, and if something goes badly, you have a drink to drown your sorrows, and it's like that. Yeah, I found that. <laughs> You go to the gig, it's punishing going to the gig, it's punishing, man, because you drive for like two hours to do five minutes to people that don't care or aren't there. And um, it can go terribly, but you have a right left talking about it on the way home in the car. And so that makes the whole experience worthwhile. It's like going to see a film and it being so bad, it's good. And so you talk about it for ages, about all the reasons why it was bad and what you can learn from it. And that, you know, that's what you do. You talk about the gig, what can we learn from that? You know, da 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 maybe do some research next time maybe whatever I don't know Um, but then if you have a wicked gig the car drive home is wicked and it makes the wicked gig even better because you've done all those same things again I don't don't like travelling back on my own it takes a lot longer on the train if you're on your own whereas if it's like me and like well Lumi and Lucas travel a lot on trains and the the, the time flies by because we do writing together we normally have an argument (laughs) it's great fun but like I, I get very frustrated when I turn up to a gig and like the chairs haven't even been put out and I end up doing it and like they've put zero effort in at all but then I, I have this inner conflict where I think 
I'm not a megastar. How much right to be annoyed do I have? And how, how do you... What's the line? Because I, I, I went there, I was assertive. I put the chairs out, so I did something positive to make the thing better. Mm. But at what line... How are you meant to behave in those situations? What I'm struggling with because I want to be nice to everyone, but at the same time, I'm annoyed that these people didn't do any effort or any promotion, and I've travelled there and paid twenty quid on the train. Yeah, that's, I, I mean, it comes down to I guess who's who's the gig more for? Is it for you for stage time, or are you basically doing a favour to somebody? If it's for stage good? time, if I've just done it for stage time and it's dreadful. If it's for stage time, I feel like you sort of that's the gig, isn't it? Like it's. You're turning up because you want something out of it. I mean, I'm annoyed if they've not promoted it and nobody's turned up. Because you that's, run that's gigs, that must annoy you, because you must think I could have done a better job here. Well, so I don't think I could. <laughs> I wasn't that good at promoting gigs. I didn't like the admin side, and it was too, too stressful. I spend more time doing admin now than actually writing jokes. Maybe yeah, it shows. That's the thing, isn't it? And that's, yeah. So how do you deal with that? Whether you've got a perspective on it from, like... A gig that's just run badly, just through lack of effort, not because because stuff goes wrong. I can accept that, but I never know what how much right I have to be annoyed. You've got every right to be annoyed. I don't think you. I don't think there's. I don't think there's a discussion to be had about how much right you've got to feel emotions. So I don't think <laughs> this isn't a totalitarian state. I think you've got every right to be annoyed. You've you've turned up to do a job, and if the promoter hasn't done their job, then that's annoying. Do you know what I mean? It is, but if they, if they've made no promises. And it's because there's a certain amount of intuition you can have, though, can't you? Where you go, I probably won't do that because that gig doesn't sound like it's going to be all that no, brilliant. No, no, I think. But well, the point I've taken from Rod, Rod has said, I'm not. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm saying I was under the impression he was saying, well, what if you turn up and none of the chairs are put out? All right, I mean? no, sorry, not, yeah, not yeah. If, not if like um, it's been promoted in a way that you wouldn't have promoted it, but like there's just no kit. You get there and isn't like they're not even there. Oh, how, yeah, how, when you run a gig, yeah. how how do you not turn up three hours before to make sure everything's right? I couldn't turn up like, or if I had to turn up late, there'd be someone else to do all the stuff before. Like it's just. Uh. Yeah. We just I gotta make sure it's yeah. ready. Yeah, that's it. That's all. You just gotta make sure it's ready. That's yeah. uh, the, uh, the, that's what I'm saying. That's the basic. Bear. I would say okay. So yeah, you can quantify your your right to annoyance. But then yeah, I guess you once you're there, you just got it gone with it, and there's no point being grumpy. Yeah, that's that's the other thing. But if you if you've you've done your bit in travelling there you've written your jokes and you've driven two hours and you get there and the person on the other side hasn't held up their end of it and they've just not turned up, not put the chairs... Yeah, that, that's annoying. I think you've every right, yeah. Mm, interesting. Mm, right, where can we... That was <laughs> <laughs> I think it was. I think, I think we, we, we've covered everything, including Matt in water. <laughs> I do apologise. But, yeah, considering we've uh, been up all night, I think... Uh, uh, this was fairly you know coherent. Really, can, I, can I just say something? The whole podcast started with, we're going to talk about the Banbury click, which doesn't exist. Um, we haven't. <laughs> we did. You were zoned out. Matt, Matt, Matt said something very eloquent about it, but you were sleeping. No, I was listening to, to what he said. Um, but um, but I just wanted to set the record straight, because I don't agree with the word click. It yeah, suggests was, that we don't let people It's pronounced clique. Okay, clique. <laughs> but you'd be clicky. Yeah, in a clique. clique. And we're not, cli- we're not a clicky or a clique. Uh, co- collective. It, actually, yeah, collective, I'd yeah. prefer the name. Yeah, because you did let us in. Yeah. Yeah, Quite yeah. literally, have the door open for me. We've got some writing sessions that we invite people to. If you want to come to a writing session, get in touch. Yeah. Email the Banbury clique at hotmail.com. <laughs> we're all on Facebook, so you can just get in touch with us if you want to come and That's what with binds us, us yeah. together. Exactly. Yeah, it is. Well, yeah, it is. <laughs> yes, but they sell our data. 
they're welcome to it. My data is rubbish. <laughs> it's really bad data. It's all corrupt. Mm. I don't know why people kicked off about that because it's not like everybody's going to suddenly stop using it. I feel like Facebook could do anything they wanted to. You wouldn't stop using it, would you? Because oh. it's too, it's too well, useful. No, no. You can't be a comic. You can't get gigs about it. Yeah, exactly. If they overtly funded terrorism, I think I would probably abandon the site. I'd go back to Bebo. Well, it doesn't exist anymore. Oh, God, bring it back. The idiot who... The guy who set it up bought it back and turned it into a social, like a messaging thing app, and then it, no one heard of it again. What a silly no, sock! That can't be true. No, it is true. You just told us it, about it. it and if it, no one heard of it, you wouldn't have heard of it. Well, only me. In the great, in the great <laughs> scheme of things, no one heard about it. But he's got long hair. Yeah, I know that much. Long blonde hair, and that's why I never trust tech companies owned by people with long blonde hair. And that is why Steve Jobs was such a genius because he was a slaphead. Mm. Why did you point the microphone over there as if that was a question? <laughs> I didn't even have an upward inflection. Cool. Where can people find out more about where you guys are? Um, come to Banbury. Yes. Facebook. <laughs> I literally just told you Facebook. Facebook. Although I don't live in Banbury anymore, so we're at Banbury Click, yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, I'm if, you still... go, if you go to the Honest Comedy page, Honest Comedy Banbury, um, you can find us there, Rock the Attic. Any plans to come back and do Honest Comedy again? Or are you, you still running a gong show here? Or no, your promoting days are behind you? Didn't we, earlier in the year? Yeah. It wasn't necessarily under the Honest Comedy it's banner, but occasionally... It was under the Honest Comedy banner. Well, no, but, yeah, but I mean, it was still like... It was in the Rock the people Attic, involved, is, and yeah, it was here. That's the best place for comedy in Banbury, yeah. Rock the Attic. So, you know, Ryan's got a venue. We were just an idea that we put into venues. Ryan's got the venue, and, you know... It right. makes a big difference, I think, the venue owner being the promoter, because then he's totally invested yeah, in it, exactly. and I think that makes it. That's why this is working so well this weekend. I mean, we're, how far are we in now, Ryan? When are you going to put this live? I don't know. Um, I, I, don't, I tend to stockpile them and release them every two weeks or so. I was so. just going to say we could say, come on down now, but we don't want to say that because it'll be two <laughs> we weeks. We still could. Ryan will be buzzing because, you know. Yeah, well, I, maybe I should put this one out. I've put, put this one out sooner, bump up the old priority. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, either way, it's got to be by Monday, isn't it? Otherwise, it's. It's, it's obsolete. Yeah. I won't be awake Monday. <laughs> <laughs> I won't be awake. It was like at that point, Rod has just snapped. That's <laughs> it. I mean, oh, this, there, there will be a point. We'll hit a point where this will stop being such an invention. It will become just an ordeal. And I think poor Ryan organising it at the moment, I think. I have a lot of respect for him because you have to have ten in the room for it to be a world record. So he's constantly... Sweating and yeah. doing the head count. Oh, agony. Did you? This is sort of unrelated, but did you see how tired Harv was last night? Harvey Hawkins? Yeah. We did. We did Harvey Snorkins, he was going to bed, wasn't he? <laughs> but we, we did a gig in Oxford first, and towards the end of my set, a guy's phone went off, and his ringtone was like a duck quacking. <laughs> so, I mean, it was quite funny at the time, but when we came back, Harv just said to me, like, he's sort of dead behind the eyes. And he said, like, wasn't it funny when the phone duck quack made noise? <laughs> oh like, god it's... and then he came here and did 15 and then he came here and did, yeah he did 15 20 minutes he didn't do 20 he got to 13 and and, <laughs> and, and then was just like I can't carry on that was where I realised he was so tired because he smashed it as well it was such a good it know. was such a good gig but like people in the audience started talking because it was what two half two in the morning yeah it was a, it was a pretty tough tough oh, time no, it, was, that, it, it was about it was about one wasn't it because I went on then at Three after you. You went on at twenty past. I can't remember when I went on. I you think it was on half one. Half. I was chucked on half an hour early. You're on. I was like, oh, all right. But Harv was like really. But Harv was really good. But it's, it, I remember at one point him just sort of looking 
I can't carry on. And yeah. I was, it gets to a point where your brain so just well, doesn't man. respond, did not it? Yeah, it just couldn't function. But it's because at that point in the morning, there were those drunks who had got to the stage where the noises coming out of their mouths were not reflecting the thoughts in their heads. You know yeah. what I mean? They were just like... I, 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 well, they were doing that for me at half past one, so goodness knows what they were like later on. Well, actually, well, I went on at three, they were, they were amazing. Because no, they, they were drunk, but they bloke, weren't like... There was still that bloke who made that noise that... Yeah, For me, yeah. looked like a, the sound looked like a snake. It just went. <laughs> 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 like the way it moved, oh, you can't see the hand movements well, on the podcast. But you think it'd have been a proper like bear pit last night? Oh, I was really, I was really amped lovely. up. I was thinking it was going to be horrendous. But I think actually, my twenty past ten spot later today is going to be harder. I think you're right, and I think you've taken. I've been bumped up to later, so I'm glad you've taken that spot. Yeah, man, just taking one for the team, such a team player. Hard. I don't think you'll find no, hard. No, I don't think it'll all. be hard, but I think it'll be harder than it was last night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fucking how funny was it? Very, very funny. <laughs> it was so good, man. It was so funny. This the the point, right? So just for you guys listening, there was this point where this guy got up and just kicked over a whole tray of drinks. <laughs> it's like six drinks just kicked them all over, and it was like th- th- this is how lovely the crowd was. That like in Birmingham probably would have been a stabbing. Do you know what I mean? That's. <laughs> but it was just like, oh mate, you've just oh you've just kicked my drinks over, and they kind of hugged and went and bought more drinks. And then this woman came in, um, who worked behind the bar, Fiona. She came in and just started mopping up the drinks. But because the comedy night is like 96 hours and you've just got to go, 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 there's no like, oh, we'll just have like, let's have a five-minute break. You can't do that, otherwise <laughs> the attempt's failed. So there's Fiona on her knees mopping up on the floor <laughs> while everyone's looking at her. And Rod just pop. suddenly goes, I feel like I'm in a play. <laughs> <laughs> and then just acts out this play, just turns to this woman kneeling on the floor and shouts. <laughs> I felt a bit bad for her, to be honest. She was made centre stage. <laughs> I thought she did very well <laughs> just shouted how dare you get married without <laughs> without my permission <laughs> and just like acting out this little play and it was just amazing I'd lived a moment man it was beautiful she became a surrealist and handed me a loo roll and then she left and then she came back on and she went, you're still holding it <laughs> you made up a song about the, the loo roll what was it, what was it? Was, uh, and I think I to myself no it wasn't that oh, it was <laughs> Oh, I I it, was, it was some old classic, wasn't it? But, yeah. Oh God! Anyway, but it's so it fun to it because it's so loose and like yeah. it, you can basically just go on and just fuck about. Well, you've you got, got to. Well, yeah, you've you got to because you're doing 15 minutes and like if you do like a, I don't know. I just that stressed me out knowing you had to get to 15 because if I'd done 14, I was told I'd buggered the world record. Like, but that's the thing. You can. You can. It's so easy to just pad it out like I did half an hour this afternoon but my instinct like, I have a sixth sense when I've outstayed my welcome so sometimes oh, if I'm booked to do a 20 I'll, I'll do 15 just good and sometimes that's the right decision it's yeah, not going well but they were nice yeah, last night like, yeah, so it didn't really summary. matter I think time has no meaning anymore it doesn't matter <laughs> 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 oh, wicked so before this turns into delirium I shall knock this off but thank you for being on the podcast <laughs> guys knock off you for any of us not again was that what hit my leg earlier he's got all wet it's an interactive 4D podcast. <laughs> Water flying everywhere. Oh, Sorry, God. Sorry, I just stopped you stopping the podcast. I know. Yeah. You can't stop us stopping. I really need a coffee again. Oh, oh that would yeah. be good. Oh, yeah, dear. Go and get a coffee. Let's, Let's go to... Go. Oh, I've got a free one uh, from McDonald's. I'm not... <laughs> Right. Let's go to Coffee Dale. This is the Stand and Deliver Comedy Podcast with Rodders. So that was Terry Green and Matt Bragg, an interview nearly ruined by me throwing a bottle of water over Matt by mistake. Luckily, he's not a diva, and he uh, he just kept going. He's used to my buffoonish behaviour, quite frankly. Uh, do look those guys up on Facebook, mattbraggcomedy.com, to catch Matt Bragg. 
And for Terry Green, go to facebook.com forward slash Terry Green Comedian. Um, what else have I been thinking about? Um, we had the Stand and Deliver Comedy Club, of course. We did their December show. Uh, reasonable turnout, considering we were up against every single office party on the planet. And I was wondering how many of our 50 seats were we going to uh, fill. Uh, we filled enough for them, even though a lot of our regulars were like, oh no, got to go to the office Christmas do. It's just fair enough. Uh, it's why we need to keep adding to the, the pool of regulars uh, to give them the occasional night off to, to fulfil other commitments. Um, but it got me thinking, Generally, we have such a well-behaved audience. In the uh, two, nearly three years we've been running the club, we've only ever had to throw two people out. So I think that's that's pretty good. Uh, but it got me thinking of uh, a lot of the annoying things that audience members do uh, at comedy nights that I go to around the country. The, the prime one is being on your phones. I mean, with Danny Ward, if you listen back to his episode, he has a an elongated rant about, about that. It is just rude, isn't it? And it's kind of like you're, you're wasting the, the, the price of entry, aren't you? You might as well just stay at home and, and stare at your phone. Um, at least then you wouldn't have to worry about it running out of batteries so you could just plug it in and just live in your living room um and oh a thing i cannot understand getting up to go to the toilet in the middle of someone's set usually the compare should and and tells you oh there's going to be a break in a two acts time so you can go to the loo then and it's just like oh come on this person's only on for 10 minutes and they probably traveled a long way to, to come and do this for you and you're just gonna and you'd rather go and empty your bladder um, it's ridiculous. I mean, I, I would rather, if the option is somebody wet themselves or get up to go to the loo, obviously the latter is preferable, but, oh, come on, go before the show. I mean, <laughs> it's enough warning. Um, strangest thing, I've had this happen a few times. This was at, like a corporate gig. Some absolute jerk was just actually on his phone having a conversation. It's just ignorant, isn't it? Um, but I am blessed at my comedy club. For the most part, people are absolutely lovely and a, and a pleasure to perform in front of. Uh, if you are a comedian uh, and you're listening, uh, tell me the worst thing an audience member has done um, during the almost annoying. Um, info at rodders.com is my email or just uh, uh, get hold of me on, on Twitter or, or Facebook. Uh, oh, I've remembered another one. And I, I was it was when I'd, I just started. Uh, there was a gentleman sitting in the front row reading a newspaper. And I was just kind of... I was in a bit of shock by that, and I didn't know what to do, so I, so I just left it. I mean, think these days I would have, I would have done something silly. I would have asked, I would have asked him to turn to the crossword section, and we would have done a crossword or something together. But I don't know. It's just, I think I just couldn't quite believe he had the sort of the cheek to do that. Uh, but never mind. Tell me your uh, what have audience members done horror stories? Uh, well, if you're an audience member, maybe you'd like to confess uh, to doing something similar. Uh, hopefully, you've learnt from it. Well, that's pretty much it for this podcast. Now, as this is the time of year everyone goes a bit mad and sentimental slash drunk, I I thought I'd give a very heartfelt thank you to everybody who's bothered to listen to this podcast over the last year. I mean, this really is the worst time ever to start a podcast. You're just buried in amongst all the others. The algorithms are against you, unless you pay for Facebook ads, etc. So I really do appreciate it, particularly if you bother to write a a review of this podcast or shared it with a friend. Uh, That is much appreciated. Don't just leave it to somebody else because your small action of sharing or writing a nice review really makes a difference with a podcast of this size. A couple of extra listeners, 
that's brilliant. I really, really appreciate that. Uh, because like I said, it's just me on my own and I'm up against the big boys like Stuart Goldsmith. He did this format way before I did. and uh, But he has people to do things for him. Uh, listen to his podcast. The last bit is him thanking other people to edit it for him, um, etc. It's just me on my own. I do all the editing. I do all the recording myself. Uh, as excellent as Stuart Goldsmith is, I don't think he needs your help as much as I need your help. Uh, so, uh, um, but, you know, subscribe to his show anyway. I do. Uh, so, yeah, that, that is my heartfelt thank you. And also... Uh, a, a plea for help thrown in there as well because uh, the more you guys listen uh, the more podcasts I will uh, release the next podcast I'm going to release is with it's with a, a chat with a guy called Jonathan Elston signed uh, to a big comedy agency around the age of 22 I think he runs Milk Comedy Club in Reading and also runs gigs in uh, Leicester and Oxford hugely experienced comedian and promoter and uh, an all around fascinating bloke uh, so, so I'll look forward to sharing that chat chat with uh, you uh, in the new year uh, but in the meanwhile uh, the wheels of comedy do not stop spinning there is no time off there is no rest for the comedically inclined the stand and deliver comedy club is back in january on january 10th to be precise get your tickets now facebook.com forward slash stand and deliver comedy night click on the big blue book now button your mc for the 10th of january is a northern island's very own andy gleeks he's a fantastic comic he's emceed the stand and deliver comedy club before runs two of his own gigs as well so you're in very safe hands with him uh, he's incredibly funny and likable and the headliner making her triumphant return uh, to the stand and deliver comedy club maria shahata she's the winner of the best comedian at hollywood's festival of new cinema and best comedy in miami and uh, she won a best new performers at the edinburgh fringe in 2017 uh, bill burr rave about her as well uh, so she's well worth seeing uh, go book your tickets now also uh, supporting these acts will be Joe Jacobs Blake AJ Paul Pennis and Lucas Jolson uh, my, my comedy colleague Lucas Jolson who helped set up this night uh, so that's pretty much it want to see what I'm up to have a look at my website uh, sometime in the new year I'll be updating with uh, new gigs all the time go to rodders.com R-H-O-D-D-E-R-S and if you do want to book me uh, send me a message via the contact page there I'm, uh, I'll, I'll go anywhere I can get to basically uh, right that's pretty much it uh, wishing you a happy new year uh, this is Rodders signing off for the Stand and Deliver comedy podcast <laughs> <laughs>